Matthew 10 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on discipleship. I mean, it is so rich with information on discipleship that we literally could take each verse and could spend probably the rest of this time this semester, all of next semester, and still go into 2019 just on this chapter. This is their first mission on what I call on-the-job training. Last week we talked about discipleship as a process, and we talked about a definition of discipleship. And the truth is, if we questioned everybody here of what discipleship is, we might get 20 different answers. Because it has a lot of meanings in our culture. But it hasn't always had a lot of meanings. In fact, when you look at biblical discipleship, it was nothing more than people devoting time to be trained or to train somebody else in reproducing followers of Jesus. That's what it is. That's biblical discipleship. Devoting time to be trained or to train somebody else in what it means to follow Jesus and make disciples. And because Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And, and he told his disciples before he left, he said, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey what? All that I commanded you. And I'm with you always. And in 1 through 15, he's dealing with instructions for us for ministry. As a disciple, remember the four phases of discipleship we looked at, salvation, training, on-the-job training, and then independently cast out as a sent one. We need to be moving from salvation training to OJT. That's why we started this uh, Paul Timothy thing in the Every Man a Warrior. Because the hope is, is that even in meeting in those groups, and we said this last week, what happens, Tom, in a business? If you have a business and you've got, let's say you've got 20 salesmen that work under you. <clears throat> and you never have any meetings with them, you never ask them who they're meeting with, you just say, okay, you guys go. What happens? Doesn't it doesn't work. Because there's no accountability. And we said last week, if you just go to church on Sunday, you sit and you listen to a message, and you do that every Sunday throughout the year for 10 years, you will hear teaching. But who is ensuring there's any accountability to what you hear being applied in your life. In our churches in America right now, because of our lack of community, there's not a lot of accountability. And with no accountability, you can't have discipleship. Jesus didn't say, come follow my teaching. He said, come follow me. Why? Because with him, there was accountability. Every time they would do something or say something, they were right there. He rebuked it, right? He got, you know, that's not going to happen to you, Lord. Get away from me, Satan. You know, uh, he, he would deal with it. You know, they're arguing about who's the greatest. He takes a towel, goes and washes their feet to illustrate a point to them. And, and so there has to be accountability. So in this first 15 verses, he deals with instructions for ministry. Now, 16 through 25, he deals with how we respond to the people who we go share with and how they respond to us. Basically, how do we deal with the rejection? How do we deal with enemies of the gospel? People are going to reject us, and that's what he tells them here. 
And we need to know that. Now, when you come into the kingdom here, it's very different than when you come into the kingdom in the country of Bhutan, where John Monger is from, or Iraq, or Pakistan, or Egypt. Let's, let's pretend for a second you're in a Muslim family. It's where you grow up, your whole family's Muslim, and you encounter a believer in Jesus Christ, and they start telling you about this Jesus that you'd heard about, your people talk about, but didn't come across like what you'd been taught. You'd been taught a lot of things about him that wasn't true, and for some reason in your heart, you start having this desire to know more. There's a thirst for him. You can't explain it. You just want to know more and more. And finally you say, how do, I, how do I have this same kind of relationship with him that you have? And somebody shares with you and you do it. And then your family turns you in and you get arrested and you're waiting to be executed. And they tell you, all you have to do is deny Jesus and you can walk out. See, we don't have to think like that, do we, in our culture? At most, at most, you might get harassed at work by people. You might be terminated. Some people have been terminated. But we're not talking about our life being taken just for believing in Jesus or our freedom taken away yet. It may happen to our kids. It may happen to our grandkids. And I'm going to tell you, we are woefully unprepared to deal with that. One, because we don't have any real expectation that that's coming we live in this world that says okay we we're just we just go along and jesus is telling these disciples principles that will not only apply to them but us throughout the ages in dealing with rejection and so as we look at these principles today the first thing he says in verse 16 is that we have to know that our mission is dangerous and we will be rejected that's not a popular way to share Jesus with people, even to begin training somebody. But that's what Jesus says here. He says in verse, uh, let me read verse 16. We're going to read 16 through 25, and I'm going to come back and look at the rest of these principles. Verse 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? And so what Matthew is saying here to us, or what Jesus is saying, and Matthew's recording for us, Jesus says, behold, the first thing he tells them is, he warns them that our mission is dangerous and you're going to be rejected. 
And, and he tells them, don't beware of wolves coming against you. He said, I'm sending you out among the wolves. Have you ever seen a wolf attack an animal, a pack or a couple of them? They will absolutely rip through animals. I mean, they just, they're vicious. They are nasty and it is, it is a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty gnarly thing to watch them rip through. In the Middle East, they said that two or three wolves can go through two or 250 sheep in a night. That's a lot of sheep. And they don't even eat them all. They'll just malign them. They'll go through and just tear them up. They just kind of go into a frenzy. Wolves are very, very dangerous. And he uses that that phrase there for a reason he's saying i'm sending you out as sheep now think about sheep for a second i mean sheep you see this big body with these little pencil legs not very mobile don't have any defense system at all right they can't even run they're defenseless and he says i'm sending you out as sheep among wolves he's saying it's going to be dangerous you're going to be rejected and the thing is, why do you think people persecute Christians in these countries all over the world? Throughout centuries, why have they persecuted Christians? What is the reason? Why are we not persecuted that way? Why do people not really persecute people around us you know I, I talk to people all the time when I'm telling about John Monger and what he went through and he goes well I've never been persecuted like that I've never had anything you know happen like that in my life um, 2 Timothy three twelve. you know what it says Paul's talking to Timothy and he says Timothy all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. I think one reason that we're not persecuted is we're not exhibiting a lot of Christ-likeness. I mean, and that, that's just, I mean, if you, Barna did surveys. He's done so many surveys. He does he's as much as uh, the Pew Research Group and other groups. But if you look at the spending habits, the time habits, the marriage habits, the family habits of non-believers in Jesus Christ in America and compare it to believers, there's like a one percentage point difference in the way we spend time versus the way unbelievers spend time. It's just virtually no difference. Do you think that's the way it was with these guys and their culture? You could see a vast difference between these people and the people of the culture. And so for us, I mean, you know, Paul said in Colossians 1.24, I'm sorry, one, uh, yeah, 1.24, he said, I rejoice in my suffering. And we don't want to suffer. We do everything we can to avoid it. We try to, we want to be winsome to people, and there's nothing wrong with being winsome. But sometimes, if we, and I'm not talking about suffering because of your personality. I'm not talking because you're abrasive. I'm talking about suffering simply because 
you love Jesus and you don't mind talking about it the way you talk about everything else in your life. Living out a life that is committed and surrendered to Jesus Christ. If you do that, I promise you, you're going to meet rejection in your life. You're going to meet rejection. When you exhibit Christ's likeness and you have certain standards that you lend yourself to walking the way Christ walked, it does make people uncomfortable. And it begins to drive wedges. And if you go out and you start sharing with people, listen, you can talk about God in a generic sense all day long, but what happens when you mention Jesus? It's a dividing line. And it makes people very uncomfortable. Jesus says, listen, you're going to meet rejection. He tells them that right off the way. Well, when I was in the Marine Corps, one of the things that was drilled into us from the day one is know your enemy, know your enemy, know your enemy. I used to have to look at placards of planes, tanks. As a pilot, I had to know all these different enemy vehicles and enemy, what they look like. I had to be able to recognize the shadow of them. I had to know my enemy. Well, Jesus lays out here in this passage who the, enemy, how, the methods of the enemy, who they are, what their motivation is, and their methods. And he starts by revealing who they are. He says in verse 17, Beware of who? Men. It's not some supernatural you know, thing happening, although the enemy manipulates men. It's just men. It is the men around them. The men are the ones who put John Monger in prison. They're the ones who beat him. Satan uses men to accomplish his mission. They're the wolves. They were the wolves. Alexander the coppersmith was the one who did Paul much harm. The, the men are the wolves. They're the, they're the enemy. The, the men who reject Jesus, who follow Satan and do his bidding. And they've been throughout history. But what about their motive? He says in verse 18, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will drag before governors and kings, what? For my sake. For my sake. So what's their motive? They hate our king. They hate who we love. They hate who you love. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Now, some of you guys aren't rabid football people. Okay? I get that. Some of you may be. But I want to talk about rabid football fans. Alabama fans, if they see an Auburn jersey, guess what? They don't like that person. They can be the nicest person in the world, but typically, and I'm talking about hardcore rabid fans. You've seen them, Jay. You know who I'm talking about. All right? you, you take Mississippi State and Ole Miss, same thing. It doesn't matter if they see a state jersey, you can be the nicest person in the world, but they automatically, they don't like you because of your association. What he's saying here is these people will hate you because you love me. They will hate you because you love me. And you know where it's really clearly illustrated? Acts chapter 9, Paul, who was killing Christians, walking down the road, Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why... Do you persecute my people? Is that what he said? No. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Why do you persecute me, Paul? Because, see, Jesus was inside his people, just like he's inside of us. And so when people persecute us because they hate Jesus, they're persecuting him. Satan cannot overthrow him, so all he can do is try to hurt his people. That's why they tried to beat John Monger so bad in that prison, to get him to denounce Christ. Because if they can get him to denounce Christ, they have a little mini victory over him here. They don't, they're not going to win the war, but they can win a little bitty battle there to kind of discredit somebody. And it happens all the time. I'm going to share a couple of stories in a minute of people who were given the opportunity to deny Christ and they did deny Christ. And you know what? Their captors killed them anyway. They killed them anyway. You know, and none of us have been put in that situation that I know of. But that's, that's a hard situation. It's one of those that you can't imagine you, what you would do because we've never been in it, right? But I would hope that our desire would be to not deny Christ, to be loyal to Him. But we have to know our enemy, his identity. It's the men that Satan uses. And, and the motive is because they hate Jesus. But the methods, he lays out three methods here. Religion, government, and family. Those are the three methods that the enemy uses. He uses religion. You know, here's what's crazy. Who killed Jesus? Who killed our king? It wasn't the Romans. Who, the Romans tried to give him back. The Romans kept saying, hey, this man's done nothing. Kill him. Kill him. We have no king but Caesar. And what's funny about that is at Masada, they all committed suicide because they didn't want to serve Caesar later. But religion... Satan will use religion to persecute Christians in other countries, whether it's Islam, whether it's Judaism, whether it's uh, radical Hinduism. I mean, numbers of Christians in India are being slaughtered by radical Hindus simply because they love Jesus. In fact, the prime minister of India says by 2022, he wants all of India to be Hindu. No more Christians over there. He wants to wipe out all Christianity from India by 2022 because he's part of the radical Hindu party. And so religion is a tool that's used to, in, to inflict pain. I think of Paul, 2 Corinthians 11. If you want to go see what Paul endured, he was a persecutor, but he ended up being on the receiving end of being beaten, with rods, being stoned, and almost dying. Actually, some people think he died and was kind of resurrected like Lazarus when he was stoned. But he went through a shipwreck. He went through all these terrible things. People were opposing him here. He was opposed from the outside, opposed from people on the inside. They called themselves true followers. Religion has been used. But what about government? Government... <coughs> In Canada, do you know in Canada there was two pastors in Saskatchewan that were put in jail for simply preaching, not openly in the public, in their church building, that homosexuality was wrong. And they were put in jail. That's in Canada. Last week in Canada, Brad talked, and I talked about this on SWAT Radio, Trudeau, who is the prime minister up there, made the, his three core human rights issues 
same-sex marriage, abortion, and euthanasia. That is his three core human rights issues that his government is focused on. And he is using the government and wielding it to uh, deny funds to any organization that would teach against those three things. In fact, like summer student work programs, they can't, they can't go work at an organization unless they sign a document that says they affirm those three things. He's using the government to do that. The government has been used by the enemy. In fact, do you know John Monger, why he was thrown in jail in Bhutan? It was because of Jesus, but the king, they have a monarchy over there, the king was afraid of Christians stirring up the masses. Anybody who wasn't Buddhist and committed to the Buddhist form over there, they were afraid would be a threat to the monarchy. So all the Christians were put in jail or exiled. So that government was used just like the government back then. Now listen, when the disciples went out on this first trip, in fact, were any of the disciples ever in prison before Jesus was crucified? They weren't, were they? Even when Peter chopped off the ear of Malchus, he wasn't put in jail, was he? Now you stop and think about that for a second. Why? Because it wasn't part of God's unfolding plan. See, you know John Monger's perspective? That when he went to jail, it was his training ground that God wanted him to go through. He was to be a witness for him. It's a very mature perspective for a guy who was 20, 19, 20 years old. Very mature. And he never denied Christ. The third is the family. John's family rejected him. Dawa Singe, who runs the LTTI, he came home after trusting Christ. His dad said, renounce Jesus, or you're not part of our family, you're not part of our community, leave. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. Being ostracized from your family because you believe. Some people may experience a little of that here. They just people, but not to the point where you're never welcome to come back into our village. You're never welcome to come in. He did not see his dad before his dad died for 25 years. Never saw his dad. His dad never wanted him to return. And that, his dad's dead now. His dad died an unbeliever. He'll never see his dad, his earthly dad. And it broke his heart. But the enemy uses family. But can you imagine family turning you over to be executed? What that would feel like. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, real quickly. He says in verse 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So what? Be wise as serpents. First thing, be wise. Think about a serpent. I think this is the only positive use of serpent in the Bible. I really do. I don't, think, I don't think it's used in a positive sense in any other place of the Bible. But here, he's saying be wise as a serpent. Think about snakes for a second. That's what they're talking about, a snake. Snakes are cautious. Snakes are uh, deliberate. They're not flashy animals. They're, they're, they're almost covert. You know the way they work? He's saying be wise like the serpent. But then the second thing is he says, be innocent like doves. So not only 
are we to be wise? We're to be harmless. And I think of all the great men who have been martyred for their faith, they all willingly gave their life. They weren't trying to take life. That's one thing that distinguishes, you know, uh, the founder of uh, Mormonism, uh, Joseph Smith, him and his brother. You know what they were doing at the end of their life? They were in a gun battle with authorities out west. That's how their lives ended. They, they didn't willingly lay them down. They were fighting to the very end. You don't see that with believers who were being persecuted. A guy was telling me they build churches. And he was building a church in Siberia. They partner with these indigenous people. And he was building this church there. And the lady, he said, how did you? There was one of the ladies, an older lady there. He said, how did you come to Christ? It was over in Russia. And the lady said, well, it's an interesting story. My dad was a member of the Red Army. One time in our village, he had to round up some Christians. There was a, they were meeting in a secret church. And it was the pastor and the people in the church. And my dad executed them because he was under orders to do that. He had to execute enemies of the state. And this one particular time he did it, he took the pastor and the people out in the woods and the pastor came to him and the pastor said, uh, you know, my people will get really upset if you shoot me first. Can I pray with them and come individually with them into the woods with you? and leave the rest here and we'll do it one at a time. And the guy said, yes. So that's what he did. He walked into the woods with each individual church member, prayed with them, and then the guy shot him. And then he was the last one. He went over there and the guy said, this is what he's telling his daughter. He prayed and he looked me in the eye and he said, it's okay. And I shot him. And he said, I was troubled all the way home. And I'm still troubled because they weren't enemies of our government. He said, normally the enemies of our government are cussing me. They're fighting with me. They're angry with me. I've never seen anything like that, what I saw tonight. He's telling his daughter this. And his daughter says, well, who were these people? And he said, they followed a man named Jesus. So his daughter ends up going to Moscow State University. And there she meets a believer who leads her to Christ. She goes back to her village and goes to the area where her dad killed those people. She knew he had marked the tree. She found the tree. They exhumed the bodies and gave them a proper burial and they built a monument there and that's where they built the church. They were innocent. They were harmless. They, they, they didn't want to overthrow the guy and leave. And so that we're to be harmless, we're to be you know, wise, but we're also to be ready. He says in verse 17, be ready. That word there is to be prepared. Be prepared. Be perceptive of what's going on around you. The fourth thing is we're to be sensitive. He says, listen, if they persecute you here, then go over here and tell people. And you won't go through all of Israel till the Son of Man comes. That's a reference to the coming back of Christ in the second coming. That's not, where, that's not in their time frame. So that would apply to us. We are to be sensitive to the Spirit. And what I mean by that is early in Paul's life, Paul was, they wanted to kill Paul, right? And remember they let him down in a basket and he got away? 
Early in Peter's life in his ministry, he was in prison and the doors opened up and he walked out of the prison. But later in Peter's life, he was crucified willingly. Later in Paul's life, he was beheaded willingly. In fact, they were trying to persuade him, Paul, please don't go back to Jerusalem, please. Only death awaits you there. And he says, please, I'm willing to give my life for Christ. He tells them they were sensitive to the Spirit's leading, what the Spirit was leading them to do. Uh, I remember when I was in Russia back in 1997 with a mission team. I had a whole group of people there. And we were doing an outreach at this place in a city called Chekhov. Well, the second day, the police showed up at the hotel. And they wanted to see the leader, which was me. And they said, hey, you are violating visa laws. You are here on a tourist visa. You are not allowed to do missionary work. And we said, no, we're here on a religious visa. And I pulled my visa out and I showed him because I was there on a religious visa. And I said, we do not violate the laws because we are here. And he said, let me see your paperwork. You need to come down to the station. So me and somebody else went down to the police station. While I was there at the station, I, I met the chief of police for that region. And so I started sharing my testimony with him about the bird strike, being at peace when I was in the midst of death and feeling God's presence there. And, and then I go back, and everybody's talking about persecution and how we're being persecuted. I'm like, this really isn't persecution, guys. I mean, they just wanted money. Yeah, this was a hassle. It's just a hassle, you know, and, and we're going to do our, our meeting tonight. <clears throat> Even though the police officer told me, going, y'all need to leave. The chief, when he brought me back to the hotel, said, you need to leave. So we get back to the hotel, and <clears throat> we went ahead and had our meeting that night. The next afternoon, I had a meeting to go speak at a college. I was doing an outreach at a college there. They had a university, and we were going to do a, a singing time, and then I was going to share, just do public open proclamation. <clears throat> so I'm walking from the hotel to the college because it was only about a half a mile away, and on my way there, the police chief drives up next to me. And he says, he gives me this line first about to go see some woman who wants to know about Jesus. That was the first thing he said. And it, he just had this look. You got that feeling something wasn't right. And so I said, no, I've got to go preach over here or speak over here. We've got this thing going on at the college. And he goes, no, you need to get in a car. And I said, but I can't. And I point at my watch, and I'm trying to talk through my translator who's with me. And I said, tell him we have to go over there, and I can go meet this lady other, you know, some other time. The police officer gets out of the car, puts his hand on the gun, tells the translator something, and that guy says, he says, you need to get in the car right now. And he's not playing. This is not, this is serious. And I'm like, tell him I can't do that. What do you mean it's serious? We paid the fine yesterday. We're, we're going. We didn't do anything. And he goes, you need to get in the car. So we get in the car. Police officer takes us. We just start driving. And I'm like wondering what's going on. And the, the translator's nervous. He's a 21-year-old kid who's a believer, but he's nervous. He's like, you know, he was really nervous, and I was kind of keying off him. And I'm like, what? ask him, what is this about? We paid everything. We haven't done anything wrong. And the police officer, the chief, turns around and says, you remember what you said yesterday about being at peace when you're in the midst of death? And he's saying all this through the translator. And I, I, I said, yeah. He goes, do you feel at peace now? And I go, what does he mean? He goes, I don't know. 
And I said, well, ask him. What does he mean? Just ask him. And so we asked him, and he says, you're going to die. He said, we told you to leave. You didn't leave. And now you're going to be an example. And, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, is he serious? Is he just trying to mess with us or what? What is he doing? He goes, no, he's serious. And so he takes me to a warehouse near a train track about 40-minute drive away. We go up to a room, and I kid you not, there's, a, there's torture instruments laid out. There's almost like surgical instruments laid out with things on there and makes me sit down and tells me to sit down. And his whole tone, it was not friendly at all. It was very much he was showing me who was in charge and, and pushing me and moving me and the translator get up there and sits us in there. And for an hour, he basically interrogates me and talks to me about why I'm there, accusing me of being a spy, uh, trying to, to subvert people in that country, all kinds of things. You know, you're an enemy of Russia. And he starts doing all this stuff. And all I start doing is praying. I'm like, okay, God, what, what do I do here? And I'm wrestling through what do I do? And as I prayed, I just sensed God saying, you know, share the gospel with him. So I did. I just began to share. And he got very angry and agitated. He didn't want to hear it. And he goes out and he brings in this woman who comes in who was obviously in charge. He was not in charge. Even though he's police chief, she was in charge. She was from the KGB or the FSB. That's what it's known as now. And she comes in and she starts asking questions. I start trying to share with her. And she's a little more polite with him, but pretty much to the point. The bottom line, for an hour and a half, I'm there, and they ask me questions. And at the end of it, uh, they move me from one room to the next. And I say, listen, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't know what you want from me. Uh, and, they, and the guy tells me to go wait in the car. So, and I've still got my translator. And so he's walking with me, and I say, listen, we're not getting in that car. I said, we're not getting in that car. I don't know where they're going to take us, but we ain't getting in that car. We're going to walk. You see those taxis over there? There's a taxi at the train station about 100 yards away. I said, we're going to walk to those taxis, and if he says something, just act like you don't hear him. Don't run, but don't just walk. So we walked and got in the car, and the translator goes, I was like a James Bond. <laughs> I really was wondering if that was my last moment on earth. But in the midst of that, God gave me what I needed to do what I needed to do. And then I go back to the hotel and I prayed and I, I, about what we should do. And so we left the next day. We took our team and left. They ended up burning down the pastor's house, killing his mother-in-law. It, the, the, what it was is the KGB in that area, the police chief and the Orthodox Church in that area did not want any, any uh, Protestant Christian influence coming in. So, but we have to be spirits sensitive to the Spirit's leading. And that's what I'm saying. When you look at the martyrs in the New Testament or you look at martyrs throughout church history, they did not fight. They simply shared the gospel. But there were times they left. And what does he say? Flee from one city to the next. There are going to be times for you to go and there's going to be times for you to stay. And the only way you're going to know that is through the Spirit's leading. And finally, in the last two verses, he says, listen, a disciple is not above his teacher. If they treated me this way, they're going to treat you this way. Guys, we have to be like our teacher. We have to be wise. We have to be smart. We have to be sensitive to the Spirit. But we have to be like our teacher, our master. 
And that's really one of the key core principles of discipleship is a passion to be like Jesus. For us, we got to be like our teacher. We got to be like our master. It says that in Luke 6:42. So be wise, harmless, ready, sensitive, be like our teacher. Jim Elliot who was a missionary who died down in Ecuador back in the 50s, was killed by 13 tribal people called the Aqua Indians. I went down there in mid-2000, flew onto a little dirt strip where they flew, went out to the village where he was, met one of the guys that killed him back in 1954. And that guy prayed prayed for me and the people that were with us. It was the neatest thing in the world. That guy killed Jim Elliott and the other four missionaries that were there. And now here he is praying over us. You know why? Because Jim Elliott, you know, he had a gun. They had a gun on the plane. The missionaries did, but they didn't use it against those people. They were there to give them Jesus. They were not there to take their life. And so they willingly gave their life And it was Jim Elliott's wife that ended up bringing them to Christ. But Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal. God, light these idle sticks of my life that I might burn for you. Consume my life, for it is yours. I don't seek a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. He was like his master. I'm going to end with one more story. This... This is a book called Jesus Freaks, and all it is is stories of martyrs throughout history and, and current. And it's just it's fascinating when you read this. But in uh, North Korea, since that's been in the news, there was a pastor over there named Pastor Kim. 27 of his people, they had lived in hand-dug tunnels underneath the ground to get away from the regime so they could worship and live and and worship God. And as the communists were building a road one day, they discovered their their tunnels and they had been living underground. So they brought them in front of a crowd of 30,000 people in the village of Gokson for a public trial and execution. And they, they were told this, if you deny Jesus, you can live. But if you don't deny Him, you will die. And they refused. At this point, the head communist officer ordered four of the children to be hung. Four of the children took them, put a rope around their neck, and ordered them to be hung unless they denied their faith. Not one of the believers denied the faith. They looked at their children and they said, we will see you in heaven. And the children died quietly as they sat there and watched with the other 30,000 people. The officer then called for a steamroller to be brought in. He forced the Christians to lay down in front of the steamroller. And he told them one more time, if you deny Jesus, you can get away from this and not die. Again, they refused. And as the steamroller began to inch forward, they began to sing a song that they had often sung together. As their bones and bodies were crushed under the pressure of the roller, their lips uttered these last words, More love to you, O Lord, more love to you, You alone I seek, more love to you. Let sorrow do its work, more love to you. Then shall my last breath whisper your praise. 
This be the parting cry of my heart shall raise. More love, O Christ, to you. And they reported that in the Korean newspaper as an act of suppressing a rebellion. That's a real story. Real people really happen in our lifetime. It's very humbling. Very humbling to read that. Jesus says you will be persecuted. This is your enemy. And he tells us who it is. And he says this is how you respond. Be wise. Be harmless. Be prepared. Be sensitive to the spirit. And be like our teacher.